0: The Iowa Hawkeyes celebrate a long proud history. In 1970, the university made a key hire, Bump Elliott, as athletic director. Labeled as the coach's AD, he ushered in a golden age, but it was a new type of gold, a yellow gold. He brought in Dan Gable, Lute Olson, Hayden Fry, and Vivian Stringer, all Hall of Fame coaches. Coach Fry inherited a program that had struggled through 17 losing seasons and needed change. As part of his rebuild, he decided to rebrand his team, getting permission from the Super Bowl champion Steelers to emulate their uniforms. He worked with a local art director to create the Tigerhawk logo and complete the makeover, saying, where I come from, it's called selling the sizzle before the steak. Coach Fry and his coaching peers lived up to the task presented by the AD, and Iowa has never looked back. Black and Yellow Gold aims to celebrate the great people programs community and culture that define hawkeye nation
1: face it and they pound but they pounded those teams all you can do is play the teams that yeah. people put in front of you but they've been up at the half by over uh, by 21 and a half points uh, on average
0: when you say they you mean Luca garza was up 21
1: yeah yeah luka garza out. <laughs> he's, he's outscored i think all three opponents at the half but, he, but he's had over 30 in, general,
0: in both first halves the last two games
1: yeah, I mean the kids, the kid's a <laughs> flat-out
0: stud. Hello, fellow Hawkeye fans. That was Scott Williams, winner of three rings with the Bulls from '91 to '93 with Michael Jordan. A time period he likes to refer to as the first Pete. He's talking about our own uh, Luca Garza. There, we shared a little banter last week, prior to and after his Tar Heels played our Hawkeyes. We followed up the next day so we could uh, crow a little bit. Well, one of us got to crow on our predictions. Not going to share too much about his story now since he does a way better job of telling it himself than I could, but I will say is that he's an amazing dude. He just has a great positive aura about him. One of the good guys out there. Before we get started, I have a quick ask from you guys. Black and Yellow Gold is getting great traction. Thank you guys for listening. The numbers are definitely going up and I appreciate it. I know you guys hear this a lot, but it'd be great if you could take the time to subscribe or write a review with whomever your chosen podcast provider is. And as always, please feel free to share any feedback on any of the social media apps you use. We're on all of them. It's black and yellow gold. The only exception being uh, Twitter, which is under B and YG Hawks. Well, enough with that. Now let's chat with Scott. Scott Williams, how are you doing, my friend?
1: I'm doing fantastic, E. How are you, Ben? I'm doing well. Where the hell are you? I am in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's a beautiful, sunny, nearly 80 degrees. Going to go hit some golf balls here in a little bit. But first I had to jump on and and talk to you a little bit about my North Carolina tire Heels and inv- inv- invading the uh, Iowa Hawkeyes den tonight.
0: Yeah, talking a little trash, I guess.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I
0: mean, you guys are down three one. Maybe a little wager as well. We are down three one in the series. So, did you know, did you know that?
1: I I, I did know I did know <laughs> that. And I know the last time we came out with a victory as well. Um, uh, Carolina Nation is is buzzing for this basketball at the game today on Twitter. So there has been plenty of uh, statistics and storylines flying about the game.
0: Yeah, I haven't watched too much of uh, UNC. I watched the te- end of the Texas game the other day.
1: Yeah, Texas was a tough one. They got off to a slow start, almost like they could not handle the back-to-back-to-back action in those little mini tournaments that they have. Uh, and they had uh, heavy legs. Um, I think they just were, you know, they were down 12 at the half. Uh, got only scored 29 po- uh Yeah, 20, excuse me. Tw- yeah, 28 points in the first half. So... Um, that was not a traditional Carolina start, but Carolina is typically a second half team and they put a great run together to tie the game only to get, you know, bit at the buzzer. Yeah, I saw
0: it at the buzzer and those Texas kids, I mean, like anybody at the buzzer, but they were fairly exuberant more than I've seen. And so just to set this up, I really don't normally do analysis, but this is kind of fun between two friends giving each other a little crap first of all i don't know why you think you have any credibility to talk to a wrestler about basketball
1: (laughs) well i have found that you are knowledgeable about most things especially sports
0: (laughs) unfortunately i have a i have an issue there um i
1: think i think we all do and in this year 2020 it is so good to have college basketball back. Can we just talk about that a little bit first? Yeah, I mean,
0: absolutely.
1: How crazy uh, as a sports world has this been? I mean, losing the basketball season last year in March, uh, the March no March Madness. I think I, I went into some shock for about six weeks, not having, not having sports, not having basketball. The NBA uh, season was delayed. everything. The only, the only thing we had was a good a good Super Bowl and NFL season. That was about all we
0: had. Oh, there was, was one other, there was one other thing.
1: Baseball was wiped out.
0: There was one uh, other thing. We had, um, that one thing, what was it called? The last dance.
1: Ah, uh, the last dance saved, saved this, uh, the spring for me. That's for sure.
0: I think you might've yeah, been that in that actually.
1: I got, to, I got to, uh, to talk get in, in touch with a lot of my, my former teammates. Uh, well, well for, podcasts, for the kids out there, calls,
0: yeah, for the kids out there real quick, because they may not have any idea what we're talking about. So give them a little background on why you got to talk to a bunch of friends. You might have been in that show.
1: Yeah, The Last Dance uh, is is about the Chicago Bulls' second set of three peaks. Three yeah, but my, my – so to go back to what I like to call the first dance was the Bulls' first three championships – before Jordan had a ring, 91, 92, 93. And they touched on that in the last ads, which made me oh so happy because I've been telling <laughs> my kids and friends and anybody at the bar who would listen <laughs> how, how I was part of getting it started at, uh, in Chicago with the Bulls because I played with Jordan before he had rings. And that was a special, special time to be in Chicago to be a young basketball player in my rookie year uh, on, a, on a team that was hell-bent on getting past the Pistons for the first time uh, in the NBA playoffs. Um,
0: Probably some and, of the best series ever as well.
1: Yeah, they really were. Uh, that's when basketball was a, a truly a man's sport. <laughs> and the physicality uh, of playing against the likes of the Cleveland Cavaliers and their big lineups, the New York Knicks, uh, with Patrick Ewing and Oakley and Mason, of course the bad boys in Detroit with Lamb Beer and John Sally, uh Rick Mahorn. I mean it was just, you know, you have to check your teeth at the end of the game to make sure you had all your chicklets <laughs> leaving the floor. And you had um,
0: you had some evil characters in there, especially Lamb Beer. He's definitely he loved that role too.
1: He loved that role and God. I for and sure you were playing center, right? Rodman, Rodman was on those yeah. squads as well. I mean, I know Rodman shows up in the last dance as a bull, but before that he was, he was a thorn and pippin side uh, in Detroit for many a seasons. You, you played
0: center, right? I played wherever I could. Yeah, I no, because I played, know you put other played positions.
1: Mostly at center initially uh, coming into the league. Uh, And then I kind of started getting spot minutes to backing up Horace Grant at the power forward spot as well. So I started kind of worked my way from a non-drafted first-year player. uh, And by about the time we started playing in the Eastern Conference Final my rookie year, I was kind of the first big off the bench, depending on the situation. If uh, Horace Grant had gotten a couple early fouls, I'd kind of come in for him. Or if Bill Cartwright, uh, you know, was getting tired or same sort of situation, uh, kind of coming off the bench and, and getting spell him. So uh, I relished my role of having to play against different styles of players, the really big seven-footer uh, that was giving up 30 pounds to, or smaller, you know, guys that uh, were, were my size but maybe uh, a little stronger than me. So uh, I was kind of that classic under uh, underdog overachiever.
0: Love it. And I, I was thinking in terms of that series uh, with Lambeer, did you have to match up with him a few times? I assume.
1: <laughs> Most definitely. Yeah, I okay. uh, yeah, actually, you know, one of the games in the in the regular season got into a fight with Lambeer after he hit me with a cheap shot. I remember after, that. After the whistle. So I kind of took exception to of him coming down late across the bridge of my nose. And uh, I remember <laughs> made, that he made, made my eyes water. So I was so pissed. I, I went right back at him and gave him a two-hand shove to his face.
0: And Jordan got into the middle of that, didn't he, if I remember that correctly? Was,
1: yeah, yeah every, it was it was back in the day when you could fight. It yeah. was a bench-clearing brawl on both sides. Uh, I think Isaiah Thomas ends up jumping on my back, <laughs> pulling my jersey up over my head, You know, like the old playground move, where I couldn't see a thing. I'm swinging wildly, <laughs> trying to hit whatever I could. I remember that. Oh, good times for sure. Hard hard to believe that's 30 years ago, Eric.
0: Well, that was fun that we had that, this, uh, like you said, during this doldrum of no sports. Thank God for that.
1: Yeah, it was, it was awesome. And I learned more about that uh, 72 and 10 team and the the second three-peat. Uh, and I still was in touch with some of those guys. But, you know, when you're off moving and you're doing and I'm trying to get the Sixers to understand this is more about team than about. Individuals and you know, I was concentrating on trying to bring a championship mentality to a team I uh, went to in Philly, which was useless with Allen Iverson and Stackhouse and Coleman, <laughs> and we had, we had some knuckleheads on that squad for sure. But uh, so I didn't get a chance to get live through a lot of what was going on in Chicago. Uh, so it was kind of cool to learn some things from uh, myself that I did not know.
0: Well, you also have a distinction of being one of the. We've talked about this several times, but one of the four players I believe we've come up with that played with three guys in their prime in the MVP season. So it was Jordan Iverson and LeBron.
1: Yeah, that's true. Now now, in, in all fairness, I guess I probably got LeBron a little before he jumped on to superstardom. I mean, before he was really, the best player in the league he was one of the best yeah uh but uh certainly before he was the best player in the league you know alan Iverson. alan iverson maybe a little bit before he was an mvp but all certainly an all-star at that point and uh and lebron same thing just a second year player but you could tell uh he was going to be uh, a hall of famer what i did not know at the time uh, is that he'd probably go on to be you know, challenge Jordan for the greatest player of all time. I mean, I didn't see that uh early in uh my second year there or his second year in Cleveland. Now, that's been just a just a tribute to his hard work of always uh trying to improve something in his game, staying in condition, mentally strong, uh, and, and, and avoiding injuries. I mean, let's face it, uh, you know, at his frame, his size and minutes, susceptible in minutes, right he could have been in the way guys like to pound on him because he's a bigger frame. He could have been susceptible to injuries. I think that's what Zion Williams will have to worry about.
0: Yeah. But uh, let's be honest. It's not the pounding. Like you said, like back during the Detroit days.
1: No, it, it's less some for sure. Uh, in the late to mid two thousands to the late two thousands, the game changed.
0: Yeah, It's easy for me to say, well, they, and they did it on purpose because they wanted the scores. they wanted the LeBrons and all that stuff. That was how they wanted to market it. But I am, you know, he's, he's,
1: he's, guys like Westbrook and Harden and Kevin Durant, uh, they've been the beneficiaries of the new rules, Steph Curry, all these guys. And, and I'm not taking anything away. Not from at all. Talent. It's just different. That's all. I'm just I'm just saying it's just a different league uh, to score 20 points back in the league back then was a, a, a very a, a big accomplishment. Uh, now, nowadays, uh, you know, sco- scoring 15 to 20 points. is doesn't seem like it's it's that hard to do.
0: And on top of that, too, there's a whole book. I can't remember the name of it right now off the top of my head, but I do have it. And it's just showing how even uh, the breakdown of all that perimeter shooting now. I mean, you'll see that tonight, hopefully, from Garza. It's ridiculous to see a big man like that. He he must have taken one last night. He didn't, sorry, uh, two games ago. Actually, almost every three he's taken so far. But there was one he did. It was just like from almost mid court, and there was no reason for it. And it went right in. And just like, wow. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's the, that's the Steph Curry, James Harden rule change. It does, the three-point line is just a suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> if, you're, if you're open at any point in time, uh, on the other side of half court, I think these guys have green lights to fire. I remember, it's funny, when I was at Chicago, Eric, to put that in perspective, uh, as a 6'10 uh, player and above, if we shot three-pointers in a game uh, and we missed, we were fined by Phil Jackson, the coaching staff. <laughs> wow so there there there's the perspective on 30 years of changing basketball
0: what's which is it NCAA that recently pushed the three-point line back? or is it the NBA that's talking about it?
1: The NBAs have been consistent for my 30 years uh, around the game. I think NCAA
0: I- just pushed it back a little bit.
1: Yeah, they, they they've made some rule changes to the three point line because it was far too close. It was you know not not much more than a uh, a two a two point shot, in my opinion. But uh, they they pushed it back a little bit to see big guys like Luca Garza, you know,
0: big guys like that shoot it from outside. It's just crazy.
1: Well, you know that, that that was always the thought process that perimeter shots should be taken by perimeter players. So there was more of an opportunity for. Your front court guys to get offensive rebounds and kept to crash the glass. Uh, more possessions generally equals more wins. Um, the guy, the guy who had the instinct for that
0: was Rodman. It's, he used to study apparently how these guys missed. I don't know sure. if there's any truth well, to it, but that's what he
1: claims. Angles, uh, trajectory of shots, all those types of things would would uh, make the ball carry him differently off the backboard of the rim. Um, and Robin, he did study all those types of things for sure. I think that was touched upon in the last dance as well. Um,
0: I always heard it. I just wasn't, you know, I assume it's true. There's no reason for him not to tell the truth about it. And he certainly showed it.
1: Yeah, no, I'm a student of the game too. I think he just sold his soul to the devil the way some of these balls bounced his way. Because <laughs> I would go to the glass too, and I couldn't get I couldn't get 18 to 24 rebounds a game to save my life. And it seemed like balls had a knack of fun coming to him. I'm like, I think he has literally made it a, a packed with a demon <laughs> to uh, to give up his soul the everlast the everlasting life and uh, uh, to get some of these boards. But uh, he he was a tremendous talent to be sure. He actually seems to be doing a little better these days. I hope so. I haven't had much contact with uh, Rodman uh, over over the years. I, I sure hope so as well. I know for a while he was fighting some some demons, yeah. uh, a hard party lifestyle. One thing that has been great, though, is being able to reconnect with some guys. Um, you know, Scotty Pippen is working on a book. He's asked me to do some things to help him for his book, and, and Cliff Levingston, Stacey King, and, will purdue bj armstrong i mean all those guys that you know, always love friendships brothers uh for sure but life takes you different places with careers and kids and business uh you don't get to stay in touch as much as you like so that was the great thing about the last dance more than anything else being able to share that with some of my old my old buddies uh and to be able to share some of it with my kids as <laughs> is, is well because i all the years I've been trying to tell them of what a special time it was to be a part of that Chicago Bulls franchise and the dynasty that we established there, it's kind of hard for them to understand the true magnitude of it until something like The Last Dance comes out. And all of a sudden, you know, it's getting a nightly audience of, you know, I mean, it was between 10 and 15 million people. Uh, on a Sunday, on a Sunday night. And so everyone's talking about it for a month. Uh, yeah. Afterwards, it was pretty cool to watch my son rock some of my old practice jerseys and game jerseys and stuff. He had service. <laughs> so it was pretty cool.
0: I've been sharing that with, uh, with like, I have some kids, a kid who played football at Iowa who, um, I, you know, first of all, I showed him the Detroit series and he, I used to show up even before the last dance. And he's like, what the hell is that? I'm like, that's what the NBA used to be like. (laughs) That was basketball. (laughs) And, and then, uh, he, he just watched, he's a huge LeBron guy and you know, nothing, a lot of these kids at that age, nothing came before that period of time. It's just no sense of history or anything. But, um, so I I do
1: have to, I do have to get into the debate about who's the greatest between LeBron and Michael quite often. Uh, with some of the younger kids especially the uh 25 and under uh group will will swear that LeBron is the best basketball player to ever put on a pair of nikes but i have to i have to let him know yeah it's <laughs> um, it's funny when he is, but he's no jordan
0: that last dance definitely opened some eyes though the ones who are really into it who watched it so this i'm specifically talking about the i just had him on a podcast Terrell johnson coolianos who uh Left with a lot of the records from the University of Iowa as a wide receiver. Oh my God. We, we've had like fights where we stopped talking for a month just over that whole subject. <laughs> it gets oh, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, really, <laughs> yeah, uh, because he's got no idea. He's never seen any of this stuff. And then he watched The Last Dance and he kind of begrudgingly started to. I just don't think people, if you haven't seen it, you'd have no way of knowing.
1: No, I mean, different areas the hell. Let, let's face it. You know, 30 years from now, we'll be talking about some other kid yeah. better than, better than LeBron. People will forget how great LeBron was too. And the and the excitement that he brought to the game. And, you know, that's just, that's just uh, nature. You know, <laughs> time, time beats on as they say.
0: You remember Tim Grover, Jordan's uh trainer for a while.
1: A- absolutely. So I worked he, with Tim a little myself.
0: Did you uh, our hoops, Jim, did you ever work out over there?
1: I didn't work out at Hoops. We did some. We did some things at MJ's place a little bit. But but for me, back in the day, Grover was too expensive for me.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so I was I, well,
1: making the NBA minimum. He was charging too much.
0: We know why he was expensive. So, yeah, <laughs> but it was Hoops. Gym was right across from 160 Blue, which was Jordan's restaurant for the last three. He was. A, I used to live there, and uh, so I was you know around the team quite a bit. And I was over there one afternoon, and um, I actually got. One of Grover's assistants invited me to one of the scrimmages when Jordan was practicing to come back to uh, play for the Wizards, and everybody was there. As you can imagine, to come to train with them to get them ready for to play again, Uh and one of the really cool days was a high school LeBron who was so excited and fired up to be invited to it. It was pretty cool. Then there was there was no it was not open open to the public, but I got in there. It was fun to watch that stuff. Yeah, NBA refs and everything.
1: Yeah, stuff like that is, is huge on a player's development. I remember going to UCLA and getting a chance to play against some of the Lakers uh, when I was still coming out of high school. How did uh, that and, happen? You know, I just heard about these games and some of the UCLA players are coming back to, to play and, and uh, some of the Lakers would show up and get good runs. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to show up. So I I only lived about 45 minutes from Westwood. I jumped in my little Chevy Chevette and, and drove on <laughs> down across the across the ten freeway and showed up and just waited to get picked up by by one of the one of the teams and sure enough I got a chance to go out there and play and impress the guys enough and I remember there was a Laker player his name is Larry Spriggs and he gave me his Laker shorts after the uh, workout. And it was one of like my most prized possessions. How old are you? So long, uh, seventeen years old. Wow! So I had these shorts for so long. The elastic was starting to dry right <laughs> rot on the waistband. Uh, but I was like, that was like kind of my start to understand. You know, kid from Hacienda Heights, you think, well, you're the I'm the best player, in, uh in my conference, you know, a <laughs> little Sierra conference, but. Do you understand if you want to go on and play in college basketball or pro basketball and and live that type of dream, uh, you got to put in more work. And that's to see how hard those guys compete and how hard they they train. um, That's that's huge. It's it's you can't read that in a book or watch that in a YouTube video. You have to get out there and live that.
0: Yeah, for sure. And being exposed to anything. I mean, that's even how I ended up at Iowa. I went to wrestling camps there in the summers. I went to one and it changed my life. And they were a month long, and they were intense. That's actually what it was called the Iowa Intensive Wrestling Camp. And it got so intense yeah. that the assistant coach—I don't have all the details. I've talked about it a few times on here, but uh, he ended up leaving to become the head coach at Minnesota because the university was trying to crack down on the camp. He was in charge of. He was a Green Bay Ranger, and it was getting a little too intense. And they're like, tone it down. And he's like, uh, uh-uh. uh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that was that was our era. Yeah. You know, The the. I guess the physicality, bunch of alpha males out there banging heads and you know throwing elbows. That was I I wouldn't want it any other way. That's that was my game. I couldn't played uh, as effectively or been as important to a team in today's NBA. You know when you could root guys around and and crack guys for just cutting through the lane and uh, do all those you know the physical things the way we played in the nineties, that was my style. Um, uh, that I had a place on a team playing like that. Um, I would have had to change up so drastically, I guess you, you make the changes necessary, but it certainly would have would have been more difficult for me.
0: Yeah. And I, I also love the story of the underdog. I, I kind of always forget that you weren't drafted.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, it's funny I've gotten, uh, this during the whole lockdown, pandemic, everything else, someone sent me a link to every Carolina basketball game that was televised since 1956. So it's been like one of the the things that I've enjoyed so much is going back and looking at some of my old college games that I played against uh, a lot of these guys in in the Atlantic coast conference and and other big five um, conferences and when I held my own and there's and even the announcers said I was going to be a lottery pick or the tail end of the lottery or first rounder and to go undrafted, you know, you know, back in the day, we'd watch film all the time with Coach Smith, but he'd never turned the volume on. <laughs> you know, we didn't have access to these days. We didn't really go on YouTube and be able to pull them up for ourselves. So to be able to hear these announcers years later, like Billy Packer and uh, Al McGuire, and all these guys talking about William's going to be a lottery pick. And I go, how did I not get drafted?" <laughs> 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 so I have a laugh about it now. I mean, as it turns out, it worked out well because God forbid I would have been drafted by some team that was was uh, you know not very good or expansion squad, and uh, who knows how my MBA career would have turned out. Being able to pick my squad, and yeah, get tell Chicago, that story.
0: Tell that story that's interesting
1: yeah being able to pick my squad and get to chicago meant to everything because i was with true professionals uh i was with a, a and, and not only that but the best player in the league that was the best leader in sports he demanded everybody worked so hard as you saw from the last dance videos all of that is true and even some of it i think might be even they might even sugarcoated it a little bit i I wonder when talk about Judd Bushler and some of these guys that came on with the last half, talk about how intense Michael was and how they didn't they were afraid of Michael um they should have been there before he had a championship ring because that dude was like a tiger every day, every drill uh was a war i mean our our preseason was like the playoffs and the playoff practices were you know even more in- intense so uh but it made me a better player, it made me a better student of the game. Uh, Phil Jackson was coming into his own with his philosophy and his style. Um, And so when I went to other teams, I was wanted by the coaching staff. My preparation, my attention to detail, my commitment to the community, all those types of things are just valued uh, on a team and an organization And that's how I stuck around for 15 years as there's certainly four at the end of the end of that. You probably go, I don't know how Williams is still in the league (laughs) because you know, averaging five points and five boards doesn't keep you on many rosters when you're 33 to seven years old. But uh, when you're doing all the other things to help the young guys prepare um, Amari Stoudemire. Stefan to be a Stephon Marbury and Penny Hardaway. Yeah, I mean, LeBron James. Those those are the types of things that I look back at my career and say, now listen, I'm not taking credit for LeBron James' success, but I like to take credit for the fact that he's a professional. You never heard about LeBron getting in any trouble. You never heard about Amari Stoudemire getting in any any trouble. And I'd like to take a little bit of credit for that. Making sure that my locker was next to those guys. And just imparting small little things over the course of the season I think helped their careers. Absolutely. That's, I'm, I, that's what I've taken away from it. Yeah. That's a,
0: it's actually the, the, it's parallel to the way a lot of people talk about parents, coach football players. They, they come in prepared. They know how to work. It's just, uh, um, you know, it's been called the Iowa way. And unfortunately it's taken a little bit of a hit this last summer. I'm sure you saw some of the headlines, I think only because they addressed it more so than any other kind of college football team. But, the Iowa way really is about being a certain kind of player and being professional, all that kind of stuff. And along the way, they may have also lost some sight on that. It wasn't necessarily sensitive to uh, different cultures, African-American culture specifically.
1: Well, yeah, you know, it's, I think that's important. Um, any program that you go to has to develop the young man uh, or young woman. Um, it's not always about X's and O's. And I was blessed. Uh, to play at North Carolina for Dean Smith who cared more about us as individuals than he ever did about winning a basketball game. He wasn't trying to be a hall of fame coach and set the record for most A wins. Uh, he, he cared about us all going on to be successful, um, in the communities, whether it be in business or whatever we wanted to do as far as pro sports, uh, he, it didn't matter one to 15. He loved us all the same. Like we were children of his and, uh, and taught us about being a responsibility. And I wasn't always all fun and games. I mean, there was a lot of responsibility that came with that being on time was, was most important. I remember plenty of times, uh, you know, guys would, would, for whatever reason, be late for something. And there was discipline for that, you know, running the stairs with a weighted vest or, or a couple miles at 6. AM with one of the assistant coaches um, to the golf course and back. Um, but, we, lo- we loved him and respected him for that, that nobody was more special than the program and nobody was more special than any other player on the team. And that's, that made us all feel, feel good and wanted and loved and, and wanted to do things that would glorify coach Smith and the university of North Carolina.
0: And, and not, you know, not to bring this up, but uh, I don't know how much you, you can talk about it, but Dean Smith really was kind of a father figure in, in uh, almost a literal sense in some ways, but and you had some tragedy in your life, I don't, and if this is too sensitive, we can.
1: Oh no! Yeah, uh, you know, I think my my story is a unique one in college sports because, you know, after my sophomore year, I'm sitting in the dorm room and there's a knock on the door, and Coach Smith's got to deliver the news that my mother, who was had separated from my father, had shot and killed her and then killed himself. Uh, I don't know how I made it. Th- through those years, but I know was, the biggest part was because of Coach Smith and the Carolina family, that support system around me. Um, I wanted to take that year off, my sophomore year. It was, was, was going to be the first day of practice, uh, and I thought, well, I still had a red shirt year. Pete Chilkin had red shirt the year before, which I didn't even know what take that meant. But I was like, maybe that's a good idea for me to take a year off and and deal with my emotions and trying to understand and. What had gone so terribly wrong? But Coach Smith was like, "No, you're good." good. He didn't. He didn't want me to start to drift away from the program, which would probably have happened. Then I would have been a student, but I wouldn't have been around the team as much. I'd have been practicing, but not traveling. And uh, he wanted to keep his eyes on me. Uh, and I think it was the best thing for me because I tried talking with somebody uh, as far as uh, a therapist because. Coach Smith's wife, Linnea, was a therapist, and she suggested that I meet with somebody. Um, and it was fine, but I didn't feel as I was getting a whole lot out of it. My therapy sessions were in a Dean Smith practice. Uh, having to, to, and he was not easy on me. Let me tell you that he wasn't easy on any of us. Um, That's sign of a good coach. We had we had we had such a good year the year before. We were number one in the country many many months in a row. We finished the season thirty two and four, but we didn't win the ACC championship and we didn't make it to the Final Four. Um, so it left a little bit of a disappointment in Especially all of Especially
0: back then, that was the. I mean, that was pretty much expected.
1: That was that was how Carolina teams were judged. Unfortunately, you know, winning thirty thirty one basketball, uh, thirty two basketball games uh, back then was a tremendous accomplishment. Um, but it, it just rung hollow because we hadn't made. We were 14 and 0 in the ACC and lose on a buzzer beater in, in the in the ACC tournament uh, to a team we had beat by 22 points on average the first two times we played them. You know, it's just like you know losing to a Syracuse team that we should have dominated, but our seniors just didn't play their their normal average game and we ended up losing that one by a couple points. So it just was one of those things where we had to come back with that, that eye of the tiger to go out and get it. So our practices were hard. Uh, And I remember a lot of times coming back after a practice and thinking, wow, I didn't think about my, my mom or my dad for the last, you know, three hours. Uh, And that was,
0: that's gotta be good therapy. That's good therapy right there.
1: Being On the court. Yeah. Yeah. With, with your teammates running and banging and, and uh talking talking a little trash as well. Uh he kinda of just took my mind off of things. I said, Okay, this is this is working.
0: I'm sure you're aware of this, uh, scientifically, but those endorphins when they're firing, my dad had depression and uh he tried the pills and all that kind of stuff, which he hated it and he went off of them, but he became a big long distance runner. And those endorphins, they they make a big difference and that stuff's going on. It's it's interesting too, there's a little bit of parallel. The only other person I kind of think of in that way in college who lost his father. I'm sure you're familiar with Steve Kerr's father's story.
1: I am. Yeah. You know, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I played with I played with Steve in Chicago.
0: Oh yeah, that's uh, right.
1: One one year, while Jordan was off, yep. uh, Shagging flies <laughs> in that my, that minor league baseball team. Steve joined our team. Well, that, that's when
0: I actually got my uh, season tickets. Finally, I was before that I was scalping.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. So we didn't like Steve at first when he first joined the team, because he was on those Cleveland teams that we had bitter rivalry with. Uh, and it just took all of about two weeks to realize this is a really good dude. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, you want to kind of stay mad at him, but you're like, no, this is a really good dude. He's a bull now. and We're going to welcome into our, into our sacred hoop. Yeah. And, for the, for uh, people
0: who don't know that story, his father was a diplomat in Beirut and, um, he was a lifelong diplomat and was an expert in the Middle East and was uh, shot by a terrorist there. And he got a knock on the door as well. And uh, in his case, it was Lute Olson. And I don't know if you know that Lou Olson uh, before going to Arizona took Iowa to the final four.
1: Oh, I did not know he was at Iowa. Yep. No. Yeah. No. So yes. It's very similar story. Stephen, I never talked about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember after Jordan lost his father uh, to a murder, Um, I didn't speak to MJ about it either. I didn't know how the words I always wish I had. Um, I probably still wish I I would one day. We still text quite a bit, although he's pretty short with his text message. Everything ends with my brother. So I know we're always good, (laughs) but, um, I I wish I would have been able to share some of my experiences and how to deal with that type of tragedy because, um, I know that's quite difficult. In my opinion, it was the reason why Jordan retired from basketball in '93 after the after the after the uh, championship in '93. Yeah, that summer, um, because that was my first reaction was, okay, I, I needed to step away from the game for a little bit. And I think that for him, having you know all of the he had accomplished the titles, the MVPs, scoring championships, defensive players of the years. He probably was thinking there was not much left for me that I haven't checked off that box of accomplishments as the top player in the league.
0: And he was tired. Everybody needs a little time out sometimes.
1: I think, yeah, and I think he was mentally tired of all of the directions in which as being not only the best player in the league, uh, Eric, but let's face it, the most popular athlete on the planet at the time. You pulled in a lot of different directions. Now, a lot of them are making you money but it's still a lot of time uh, on you and time away from family or attention away from your family. And I think maybe he thought that, you know what? My mother could use my support. My siblings could use my support and I want to be there for my kids. Like my father was there for me. Uh, And I think he took, he stepped away from the game that he loved still. I honestly believe he still loved it. I mean, obviously he did. He came back and, and uh and set the, set the world on fire and i don't think there's a last dance type of thing on on the first three peak. you know i i think him coming back and winning three more championships you know gets you a 10-part series. <laughs> you yeah. know they might have made they might have did the michael jordan story Here, here's a here's a 90-minute special but you're not gonna get you know all that Behind the behind the scenes footage that was just uncommon for teams to allow access to camera crews and um, on buses and on on planes that they they were able to acquire in the locker room and the tunnel um, that stuff was uh, unheard of back then so it, it was something something that uh, made it truly special for him to come back out of retirement. Uh, and to do what he did in the the fashion in which he did. He wasn't just a player on the team. He was still the best player in the league.
0: And for the rest of us to be able to watch that,
1: it's fun. Absolutely. Uh, and The funny thing is, even when you were a teammate of his, some of the things that he would do in games, you can sit back as a fan <laughs> and kind of enjoy it as well. You're like, oh, wait, I got to get back on defense. That's just like, you know, <laughs> he makes a play against the Lakers one time where he goes up with the right hand and scoops it down and switches it over to the left hand to avoid Sam Perkins. It was one of the most spectacular things I'd seen on live, uh, on the court live, and I'm trailing the play, and I'm just a couple steps over half court, and I'm watching this whole series uh, unfold. And I'm like, did I just see that? I just throw my hands in the air like that's the greatest play I've ever seen. I mean, to do that in the NBA finals with all the pressure and to pull it off. I was a fan. There's a good thing. There was a timeout right after that, because I <laughs> i didn't know how I would have got back and, and played defense. I wasn't, you know, mouth open and uh, looking around the crowd. Like, did y'all see that? <laughs> like I was sitting in the living room, not, not on the court.
0: That's funny. It's totally different. And it's an individual sport. And, and, uh, but just being around some of the teams I was at with the Iowa Wrestling, I was there in the heyday, and my teammates are now the, the it's two twin brothers who are basically head coaching. There's a head coach and whatever they call his twin brother. They're basically both coaching the team. Uh, mm-hmm. But but those guys are just legends. You know, world champs, Olympic champ. One got a bronze. But it, those those days, man, they just beat on people, and it was it was fun to watch. And to this day don't see too many uh wrestlers like that so it's, it's fun to be around that kind of environment for sure all right let's 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 uh, talk about this game and okay. then and then if you're okay with it we'll follow up again tomorrow afterwards and and make this uh, one pod sure <laughs> then you can go hit golf balls
1: <laughs> yeah that was a perfect day for it. i gotta walk a couple. i've been trying to lose a little weight I'm trying to I'm walk a little uh first but
0: well you you've actually done a pretty good job that's also fun to go hiking out there it's a perfect place
1: yeah, you know, I don't do too good. I have 6'10. I don't do too good on those mountains anymore. I don't mind it going up, but coming down is putting too much stress knees. on these old knees now. Yeah.
0: Mine yeah. is my hips and my IT bands. I've had both my hips replaced.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah I'm sorry about that.
0: Yeah. If you're thinking about taking up college wrestling, maybe rethink
1: yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, rethink that. Yeah. Uh, now, nah, we were talking. So I was talking to some guy last night. She was about going hiking uh, over off of like Shay in the 101. And I was like, yeah, I don't do too good on the mountains anymore. I went up camelback about three years ago and, and damn near had to get airlifted off of that joint. <laughs> like, this, is, this is not a big man sport.
0: <laughs> my, my parents took us on a on a trip to the Grand Canyon when we were kids. Mm-hmm. I don't, I've never heard this. I never noticed it. My brother and I are going down. Also, our parents are way behind what's going on. My dad turns out is scared of heights. Just <laughs> <laughs> a problem on the trail they yeah, picked to be
1: of Grand Canyon, yeah. right? to especially the
0: this trail he, the trail he picked too and then my mom i think hurt she was having problems with her body so my brother and i were little kids we went down to the bottom dropped our packs and came back up and got theirs and got them down
1: <laughs> walk them down yeah, yeah. Good, smart move
0: then we had a freak snowstorm we didn't have any clothing for it because it's supposed to be spring so it was like shorts and t-shirts and everything I remember wearing underwear on my head and <laughs> socks, oh my God. socks on my hands. And then all the hotels were booked because everybody was planning on camping. Oh yeah, I was like, forget this camping stuff. Let's get some shelter. Yeah. Well, we ended up in Vegas and got to go see Ann-Margaret. And it might be one of the greatest family pictures I've ever had. It's, it's <laughs> with us with at the Hilton Margaret. Las Vegas with Ann-Margaret. <laughs> my dad's wearing like this shirt that's buttoned down, not to his navel, but you know what I'm saying. The big open right. shirt. Right, with a right, with right. a peso doing, that was
1: doing his Vegas style. Yeah.
0: <laughs> with a well, I think, we weren't planning on going there, so I don't even know why I had they had these outfits. And he had a peso that was carved out. And my mom was in a one piece tie-dye, I don't know, with Puka Shell necklace, teal. <laughs> I don't know what the hell they were thinking. Puka
1: shells. I love Puka shells. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's great. Anyway, all right. So so tonight we got an exciting game here. Uh, so I haven't watched your guys enough, but you got you got four really good balanced players. And look, Joe, oh, look at you. you got notes. I love it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know me. You know the Dean Smith preparation. Man. I'm going to do a show and I don't, have <laughs> a, I don't have a base of notes for sure. I mean, let's face it. Carolina, uh, like Iowa, they played a couple cupcakes. Uh, but the last game against Texas is probably one that they probably could have won. Um They did a lot of things good in that basketball game, but they just did a couple things that really hurt them. One of nine from three-point line. I mean, let's say 69-67, you get beat on the buzzer, and you go one for nine from three-point land, and you miss uh, 16 of 32 free throws. So um, that's not – going to get you too many wins when you're playing a team as uh, the quality of of Texas, a top ten team. So they, they got to do a little bit better. But one thing Carolina does well, but Iowa also does well is crashes the offensive glass. And uh, I think Iowa's the better team.
0: Their defense their defense is still the suspect part. They've got a great offense. Is the defense if they're gonna get is if they're really gonna be a final four team, they gotta get their defense going here.
1: Well, I think some of the teams that they've played. I mean, Central, uh, North Carolina Central, Southern University, Western Illinois—not uh, exactly world beaters. Let's face it. And, and they pound, but they pounded those teams. All you can do is play the teams that yeah. people put in front of you. But they've been up at the half by over uh, by twenty-one and a half points uh, on average.
0: When you say they, you mean Luca Garza was up twenty-one.
1: Yeah, yeah Luca Garza's out. He's he's outscored, I think, all three opponents at the half. But he but he's had over thirty
0: in, in both first halves of the last two games.
1: Yeah, I mean the kid the kid's <laughs> are flat out stood I mean twenty six and ten and twenty four minutes in, in the first game. You follow that up, you go uh, for forty one and nine in, in under thirty minutes. Uh, and then and then against Western Illinois again, you know thirty five points, ten rebounds, and they're only doing that in twenty five minutes of action. Crazy. So it'll be interesting tonight, actually, to see if he can carry that over. Now, he's going to have to play more than 30 minutes tonight, I think, to beat a Carolina squad. Uh, okay. But it would be interesting to see now how he's got to deal with the bigs at Carolina. They're extremely big and extremely long, uh, and they have some mobility. They're not stiff. So I think they can get out on the perimeter somewhat uh, and challenge him to have to for- do most of his action inside. And that's where they use their length to protect the rim. So it's going to be interesting to see how they, they look to attack them, who they're going to put on initially to start, but they got a guy by name of Garrison Brooks um, and uh, Armando Baycott. Those guys need to perform tonight. They can't get in foul trouble uh, and they got to be, they got to be solid uh, offensively. They need to go between 25 and 30 points combined, and they need to get between 18 and 22 rebounds with six of those, a minimum of the six of those, uh, coming on the offensive board, uh, and that would give them some extra possessions, chance to get some fou- some fouls, and get to the free throw line. Well, they better make the free throws because they have been absolutely horrible from the free throw line, uh, like against Texas the last game. I told you, you lose a, t- a two point game, and you've missed uh, 14, 14 free throws. I think I said sixteen early, but you missed fourteen free throws in the game to get beat by two. That's that's no, no bueno.
0: You must have done this at some point, like for television or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's you know that's one of the things that I was my goal. Uh, actually, uh, when I wasn't drafted, I was like, listen, if I can get with a team for a couple years, two, three years, uh, establish myself in the community and the, and the organization, I'd like to be the the radio analyst for the for the club and do pro pro basketball and radio. Well, uh, as it turns out, I ended up playing 15 years in the NBA, and I'm so good looking. They decided <laughs> to put me on TV.
0: Well, that's clear, obviously.
1: So I did it. I did it in Cleveland following my final year there. I kind of got my shot as part of the pre- and post-game show when I was – not the post-game show, the pre-game show when I was still player. player. Um, and then followed that uh, into the analyst job uh, for a couple of years calling the action for for LeBron and, and then definitely got to see him in his prime doing that. And then in Milwaukee and in Phoenix. So for, for eight years in the NBA, that was my gig. Then I wanted to get into coaching. So I kind of did the coaching thing for a couple of years. It didn't work out in Milwaukee with a young, uh, onto the Kupo's team. We weren't very good that year. So we only won 15 games. So they, they fired us. Uh, but I came back to the Valley and started doing college basketball for Grand Canyon University. So I've continued my television career, and it, which has been great. So it's, so it's really kept me around basketball for 30 years uh, doing what I I enjoy doing it, and working with the young kids is probably even more special and more rewarding than it is working with the pro players at the from a from a television uh, standpoint.
0: Well, the passion's still there, and it's fun to hear it in your voice.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's 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 where I need to be. I mean, that's 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 something that I've always enjoyed doing. And watching these kids develop over the course of a, a four-year career. Um, it's been it's been really special. Now, Grand Canyon University they they got a new coach named uh, Bryce Drew, uh, and he comes oh, over wait. from Vanderbilt.
0: Yeah, wait a minute, Bryce yep. Drew.
1: Yeah, Bryce Drew. Remember him? He made the shot uh, yep. in yep. the NC two A tournament. Yep. 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 uh uh Which is always always seen on the during the Final Four where they saw well, one magic moment or this yep. magic moment. Was that As called. it should. But one shining yeah. moment. One shining yeah. moment. So that's always fun to fun to watch, and I joke him about that all the time too, but. He's like, "Yes, yeah, god, that's what I get to. because He was a bull at one point as well." Yeah, that's uh, why I also remember that. After yeah. I was there, but uh, he had some health issues that cut his career short and being the son of a coach his his father's Homer Drew Hall of Fame. I coach. think it's
0: from Val Prazo if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yep, Val Prazo, yeah. that's right. Parezo. And um there's just a whole coaching family. They his his father um I can't remember exactly how many games they have won, but his brother um, Scott Drew is at Baylor. They got the number two team in the country this basketball year. Basketball
0: family. Man, I never put that all together.
1: They are the second winningest basketball family combined wins uh, in two A history. Wow. I think it's, I want to say the Rupp family, Adolph Rupp and his crew. Uh, I don't know the son's names, but uh, I, know that I believe name, they, are, yeah. they, are number, they are number one. And uh, uh, Drew family is right behind them. Hot of, of
0: the tail. All right. So I'll tell you what we we have not seen yet with Iowa, really, just because of the competition, but it was weird. Western, for some reason, decided to not double team for the longest time with Garza. So we haven't seen him have to go to the perimeter yet. And the perimeter guys, they've just been feeding him. Why wouldn't you? I mean, <laughs> if they're not double him and just let him score. So that'll be interesting tonight. That'll be the first test to actually see these guys in the perimeter finally have to. uh, step up and play and we haven't seen that so far this season
1: well i mean they've they've got some decent play i've looked at a number of their box scores it looks like weiss camp if i'm saying
0: that we's camp and we best best way to call him is Weezy, Weezy, like the jeffersons
1: the big Weezy. yeah Yeah, yeah, so he's been in double figures a couple times uh against southern university um and and western um and they got some bump off their bench now they've been able to get some extended minutes for their bench guys. I think one game they played 14 players uh, against Central.
0: They did. And it's been impressive. It's like some of these young kids and everything. And, and um, there's McCaffrey
1: is McCaffrey, the coach's son. Yeah,
0: They have two, two McCaffreys. So you got, okay. You got two McCaffrey sons that are playing guards. Yep. And uh, Patrick, who's the solid. Yeah. They're very solid. And Patrick, who's been, you know, getting a lot of the later times you talked about, He uh, I can't remember what form of cancer it was, but he definitely went through some medical scares um, and didn't get to play last year as he was coming out. And it was really scary two years ago. But uh, he's a heck of a player.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, in in France, a heck of a coach. He sure is. uh, One thing that I will say that uh, Iowa basketball, obviously the football program, and the wrestling program maybe have overshadowed. What the basketball team has been doing, you know, in the in the Big Ten, you always hear about Michigan State um, and Wisconsin, but if you look at what Iowa has done, they have uh, seven uh, upper division finishes, and that is only second behind. Michigan State, who has eight. So they have been right there competitive with all of those Big Ten schools uh, over the years that um, Fran McCaffrey has been the head coach there. That's a testament to him putting nine nine teams in the NCAA tournament and you know his two decades of head coaching experience.
0: And one of the few schools as well that has, uh, and Carolina just fell out of it, I believe, in football or something like that, but they're one of the few schools that has both the football and the basketball doing well. You add wrestling. And then the last few years we've had great women's bat. Well, Vivian Stringer goes back to who had great programs. But the last two years, two years ago, the player of the year in the country was uh, Megan Gustafson from the Iowa women's basketball team. Last year, I God, I can't believe I'm blanking on her name, but she was the Big Ten player of the year. So they've had great a great women's basketball program as well. It's pretty pretty good place.
1: Yeah, I I think that these these presidents uh, uh, and athletic directors have uh, done a you know like you say there's always going to be hit some hiccups along the road but for the most part if you go decade to decade uh very solid university um uh, athletic programs uh for both schools and that's something as as you and I both being alumni something to be proud of
0: absolutely you you build yeah you you build kind of what you're about and you, the foundation and the, the guy who did it, you'll hear the beginning of this podcast if you decide, should you decide to listen to it? Maybe not. But um, the guy that I have in my intro was the athletic director hired in 1970. His name was Bump Elliott. And hmm. he, um, was a, he actually started at Purdue, which is weird. And then war broke out and he went and fought in the war. Yeah. So anyway, he, he comes back and ends up going to Michigan with his brother. And they were on a Big Ten championship team and everything. And he ends up at some point also becoming the head coach in Michigan. Um, Oh, wow. And they decided to make a change there. And there's the guy who hired him is already the athletic director. And the Iowa job opens up. And I think he had been a graduate assistant there for a little bit. He comes back and he really changes Iowa athletics. And he's really the foundation for it all. He passed away last year right around the same time as the football coach he hired, Hayden Fry. Uh, So. um yeah, so it's it's anyway, they it's all in the intro side, won't totally repeat it. But what's crazy is since nineteen seventy, he was the first one. He hired Bob Bowlesby, who's now the Big Twelve uh commissioner for Big Twelve Sports. Mm. Um, and then after him is this guy Gary Barda. So we've had since nineteen seventy three athletic directors, unheard of. And then listen to this nineteen seventy nine is when he, uh, Bump Elliott hired Hayden Fry. Since nineteen seventy nine, there's been two football coaches. Wow, <laughs> that That's crazy. Like
1: that. that is, yeah, that, that is unreal at that that level of program to only have two coaches.
0: And let me give you one last thing: is that Bump at the first you know, big four coaches he hired. First was Dan Gable, my wrestling coach. Pretty good hire there, I'd say.
1: Yeah, he just got the Medal of Freedom. Yeah, uh, they <laughs> did. So President Trump.
0: No, number two was uh, Vivian Stringer, who's now at Rutgers, but yep. she was there forever. Um, number three was Lou Dolson and number oh, wow. four was Hayden Fry. And all four of those first hires were hall are all hall of fame
1: coaches, all hall of famers. Wow. You guys got a nice talent.
0: Not bad. Well, I'll let you go do what you're going to do and then follow up again tomorrow. Okay. This game, but, but you got a prediction?
1: Yes. Of course. I'm going with my Tar Heels <laughs> with the win, but it's going to be an ugly squeaker. they got to right. keep it close in the first half. I think if they can. Low score. Be with be within, Plus or minus two points at the half, they got a good chance to win the game in the second half because traditionally Carolina teams are second-half teams.
0: Yeah, I think the first half is, is going to mean people think the basketball comes down to the end, but that's definitely going to set the tone, and especially because Iowa hasn't been tested yet, so I don't even know what to think or what's going to happen. But it, it, I, I do believe it's going to come down to I, I think these four guys that I've read about um, and I watched again like, a little bit of the game the other day. It's not like I was studying it, but um, we'll see how Garza is able to feed his guys in the perimeter and how they perform. That's going to be the key, I think. So, but I think it probably will be a lower score. Although Iowa always seems to have a high high octane offense. It's you know they they definitely are trying to push it down the court really quickly. They they got a point guard who gets a little out of control sometimes
1: doing that. Yeah, Carolina's got some points as well. Sometimes they fire and take some questionable shots. Shot selection with young players is always a problem, but uh, they'll run with they'll run with anybody. There's no doubt about that. They All wouldn't right. mind an up tempo game.
0: All right, well then maybe it'll be a little higher score than you think. It Might Maybe, yeah, maybe it won't be exactly the thing. But you got two guards right that are freshmen, so
1: yes, uh, and, and they're going to be good. Uh, it's right. just going to take some time. Some time.
0: All right, we'll see it tonight. All right, brother. All right, brother. We'll talk to you later. All right, Scott, so here we are, day two. Well, you
1: guys took it to us. Uh, Both halves of basketball, it was kind of exactly what I was afraid of. Carolina would dig themselves a hole in the first half, burn a bunch of energy and momentum to fight back into the game, only to run out of gas down the stretch. I mean, first of the first half, I thought I was a jinx. I'm like, okay, they can't make a layup. They can't make a three-point shot. They're turning the basketball over. I'm turning this off. Walked into the, turned it off, walked into the other room, peeked at my phone. It was 65, 64. Carolina had the ball. I'm thinking, okay, I can start watching again. <laughs> and, then, and then Iowa goes on like a 12 to two run or something like that. It was, it was, well, so I bad. was glad
0: you, you did say yesterday, I just listened to it all. Um, and we did it very quickly, but you said that definitely Carolina is the second half team. And they, they definitely are. came back and punched Iowa in the mouth, which I liked because Iowa needs that. And especially going forward, I mean, we haven't seen the eye test yet because they haven't played anybody. So it was it was nice to get them punched in the mouth, and you guys came back and took the lead, which was amazing, pretty amazing comeback. But uh, and I I told friends early on like the the guys who were doing a great job of guarding Garza, which I, I did say yesterday was going to happen. And yeah, uh, it was it was great job. to it was great to to. Um, to see how they all reacted, and have the other guys have to step up because the reason he had those crazy numbers—if if those other teams I mentioned yesterday that they played so far didn't want to double team him for God knows what reason—so it's just like, okay, well, let's just keep feeding guards out. So you have those, you know, garish numbers. But, uh, but but let let me play back. You know, this is, I of course because I have the editing tools and everything else here. I get to make myself look good. That's the <laughs> way this works.
1: Well, one thing I didn't anticipate. Was 17 three point shots. I mean, well, I well,
0: hold, on, hold on, hold on. Let, let, let me play this clip for you. We're going to listen to this for one second. This is my prediction yesterday, real quick. It it, it, I, I do believe it's going to come down to, I I think, these four guys that I've read about. Um, and I watched again a little bit about the game the other day. It's not like I was studying it, but um, we'll see how Gars was able to feed his guys in the perimeter and how they perform. That's going to be the key, I think. So,
1: there you have it. Well, you nailed it. I mean, absolutely. (laughs) What I did, you know, Garza did a good job sharing the basketball. Well, he had to. He's going to have to.
0: And that's what I wanted to see.
1: That swing, swing. They really did a good job moving that basketball around the perimeter. And for the life of me, I just don't understand. Now, I I got a young team, but I have never seen one team commit over and over again, time and time again, such poor closeout on outside shooters. I mean, granted, they're threats. You want to try to run them off the line. But that was no technique in what they were doing whatsoever. Just jumping so far out of position, throwing a hand kind of like a, a flagman waving in a plane, saying just trying to leave, leaving their feet time and time again. All they would do would just show a little bump fake sidestep and either you get get a shot or Ooh, rotate that it to the that, next wheeze man that had to help. And
0: hey, you talked about Wheezy yesterday. That sidestep probably was a travel too. But oh my god, was that a thing of beauty?
1: Yeah, it, it, he, he did come up. I mean, I, I think there was a number of guys that I looked at when I went through some of the stat sheets. And I think that maybe playing the light schedule worked to their advantage. It gave a lot of those shooters confidence.
0: I mean, well, the, well Gar- Garza's been fire. the fire. You, you could tell the North Carolina came in to shut down Garza. And as I said yesterday, we just played it, but you know, it was all about how these other guys who have not had the chance to step up yet. So Bohannon, who so we had, I'm sure you're probably aware of the stat, but since the ACC Big Ten Challenge, which is the 20th year now, that's the most three pointers in a game, 17, and uh, Bohannon had seven. Frederick's had five, and they've had some injuries with those two guys. Frederick started off slow last year and had some injuries when he came back late. Bohannon had two hip surgeries last year and he he decided to sit out the year. Um, and I knew he he's clutch, man. He's unbelievable. That guy is, he's got a podcast too, which I love. I can't believe there's a college athlete. He's got a, he's got everybody on the podcast. It's awesome. Very cool. But yeah, I, I heard of the announcement. Oh, yeah, their,
1: their shooters were dynamite not our perimeter players. Uh, and that's the problem with Carolina basketball early in the season is with the young team. We're going to have some growing pains. We'll keep it exciting. Texas game was exciting. Buzzer beater. Even last night's game. I mean, final score I think was not quite indicative of where that game Agreed. was in the second half. Agreed. Um, it was exciting. And I think that for as a Carolina fan, all we can do is 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 enjoy the highs and and suffer through the lows. <laughs> uh, and I and hope this team figures it out uh, in ACC play. Uh, because I think they're a fun team to watch. And with some of the other teams, you know, Virginia losing the game, Duke dropping last night. Um uh, they've lost a couple games. The ACC could be a wild ride, uh, and I'm going to enjoy every bit of it. I'm so happy to have college. Me back. too. It's just it's so much Hawkeyes fun. And uh, Fran uh, McCaffrey, right? Yep. Uh, a lot of credit. Uh, he had his team ready to come out the gate, and unfortunately, uh, Carolina right now is not ready to start basketball games and digging these big holes against good teams. Texas and Iowa. Um, they're going to. They're not going to have enough energy left. In the second half like they normally do to finish those games off with w's they'll get close but they're, they're not going to finish them off you can't be down 12 points that's why i said if he kept it close that two i was hoping for two maybe a six point deficit uh anything more than that, i thought was going to be pretty much unsurmountable.
0: and that that as an energizer bunny i had a friend from carol i had a bunch of my carolina buddies i was texting with during the game and they're like he's going to gas i'm like no he's not going to gas this guy is the energizer bunny it's crazy what great shape he's in
1: I thought he would gas too. I had looked at his minutes. He hadn't played 30 minutes in a game. Um, and they they brought they took him out early. And I thought, oh, he's already gassed. Maybe a little bit of that. Sometimes you get a more adrenaline and emotion and gasses you rather than energizes you. And when he, they settled him down, because uh, he had a poor first half. But he came back in that second half. Well, played, I see,
0: that's what I disagree with. I, I right? disagree with that. That's what everybody was saying. And I, as I said yesterday, I thought he was going to get challenged. And he did. He got all four of your bigs. They, at the end of the game, with seven minutes left, all four of them had four fouls. So, and yeah, he well, fed the saying, perimeter
1: shooting percentage. I mean, yeah, you guys he, challenged him he for thirty points in two games in the first half. Like some of those other teams, you know, it, it was it was surprising to see him two for twelve. I believe it was or two for eleven. But look at
0: his rebounds. Look at it. No, no, no. He's yeah.
1: going to do those types of things. It was just the scoring that he's really known for, in my opinion. But he drew he's the got attention. Got some offensive I, I, rebounds. He got. He, he gets some offensive rebounds, he's averaging. I uh, probably 10 or 12 boards a game. Uh, what did he go for, 17 boards last night? I mean, it was impressive. It was impressive performance, but I thought he did most of his damage. I'm the just saying that when the game was on the line.
0: The damage to me was that he got enough attention, got everybody in foul trouble, fed the perimeter, and I, I knew kind of had a feeling, like I said, that that might be the case. And
1: well, I like the kid. I mean, I think the ESPN one time compared him to to tyler hansborough yeah uh he's tough like tyler hansborough but he's better than tyler hansborough i mean i think tyler hansborough for a number of different reasons didn't have the pro career a lot of people thought he was going to have coming out of carolina as the all-time leading scorer and uh all the trips to the final four national championships but this kid i believe has got something that tyler hansborough doesn't possess
0: roy williams actually said that post game yesterday
1: Oh, did he? Yeah. Okay. And, <laughs> I and, didn't see the comments. Yeah, and, I don't and, think and, that I trying to quote the coach. And,
0: and during the game, they actually went to Hasbro. They went to his highlights saying this, that they reminded him of him. But, yeah, he actually said – Roy Williams said he's a real deal. And I think his exact quote – I can't remember exactly how he put it, but something that the kid's got more sweat than anybody. And he likes guys with more sweat. I like that. He, That's
1: he, a good
0: he's, comment. I'm stealing that one. Yeah, he's actually – both parents are Bosnian, but I think the mom might actually be. I don't know enough about the history. I've been trying to look it up, and it's hard to find. But um, former Yugoslavies you all know, my Serbian buddies, Stojakovic and Divac and Rudmanovic and all those guys. And um, so he actually goes back there. He's gone once there in the summer, and his grandfather was the coach of Hawaii basketball. So he wow. comes from good stock, and his mother played professional basketball in Europe. So, okay. and his father's a basketball player too. Yeah. So he's around and his father son, trains him son hard. Of a,
1: son of a coach, son of a player, son, grandfather, grandson of a coach. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, mom played hoops. Uh, and he seems like he's an intelligent basketball player and, and works hard. Yeah. Works yeah, hard. It works hard. It's tough. Man, you know, I give him a lot of credit. Uh, I believe it will be following his career quite a bit.
0: Well, thanks for doing this amendment. You're the man.
1: Dude, I'm so happy to be on with you. Good luck with the pod, and uh, I'll be following. I'm a fan. Not only a friend, but a fan. I love it. You're a good man. What,
0: what are you doing now? You're You're doing uh, college basketball?
1: Yeah, so I, I'm the analyst for Grand Canyon That's University. what you said. Okay,
0: we talked about it yesterday, yeah, but I didn't quite get that. Got it.
1: Yeah, I've been to my, my sixth year doing it now. Uh, so we do all of the men's home games. Uh, and the um, a few of the women's home games so I don't have to go on the road before I was doing Pro basketball was on the road. Yeah, so the many time. nights away from the family. So it's was, it was nice to be able to slide over with Dan Marley and Jerry Colangelo. They're involved with, you know, Dan was the coach for seven years there and he was just replaced with, by Bryce Drew Drew. But uh Jerry Colangelo is still actively involved with the university, the business school is uh, the Colangelo School of Business. Uh for and, those that don't uh, know it's been, it's Col- been a great, yeah, for, sorry? for
0: those who don't know, Colangelo uh, literally started the Diamondbacks. Um, right. Basketball, NBA guy who was also head of USA Basketball when we took the Dream Team and everybody over there, he took it back over.
1: Yeah, he brought the yeah. Suns uh, uh, to Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah. yeah, he was with the Bulls for many years, and then they were like, we need somebody to go out there and run a, a new franchise out in Phoenix, and he came over and, uh, and did that for many years we, they call him the godfather of sports here in the valley <laughs> because it he's makes sense so to me And so many successes uh to this area i mean phoenix is like the fourth or fifth winningest nba franchise although they have not won the big one just yet but um uh, i think they got some good things brewing
0: i am sorry I, I don't know why it has had to go there for a second uh Redmanovic is one of my best buds you know vladimir Rodmanovich, he was playing with the lakers and playing with kobe this mm-hmm. is actually kind of a great Kobe story, and I don't—it's know, totally out of the blue and has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But they're playing the Suns, and it's the playoffs, and uh, Nash is—you know—I think it was his MVP season. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm at the game, and you know I'm sitting in my Vladimir seats. The, the first half, the Lakers are pretty much clobbering the Suns. Second half, they come out, and Kobe's taking every shot. Doesn't matter. As soon as he touches the ball, they, they know they're not going to touch the ball. And all of a sudden, the, the Suns come back. So to your point, good, these are the good years with Nash and everything during those playoffs. They made a pretty good run. And uh, Yeah,
1: they did make a good run. Dan Toney was coaching. We had Amari Stoudemire and yep. Joe Johnson and Sean Marion uh, getting uh, – Raja th- Bell was a t- pretty tough little defender, so they had a good little squad, uh, and they gave the Lakers some fits. I thought they beat the Lakers one year in the playoffs, if I remember correctly. I, I think,
0: think this is the this, is the this is the year. This is the year they beat them.
1: Yeah. So they beat them one year, and then they they had them on the ropes another year, and they let uh, Ron Artest. Uh, I think this was before he was Metta World Peace.
0: Yeah, this he this is before that
1: to beat the Suns in a pivotal game. At, but otherwise they, they played this, the Lakers pretty tough
0: most of the time. So the story goes, uh, they, they come to the huddle finally, and everybody's frustrated because Kobe's also not hitting baskets. So all of a sudden the Suns take the lead and they're like, Kobe, we're open. And he turns on me because goes, well, well, get the fucking rebound.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the mom. <laughs> Full mom, mode, right? There. I love it. If you're open. Go get the four, baby. <laughs>
0: Well, let's leave it right there. Uh, yeah, I was the
1: like, bass his cat. You just hold the tail. Go get out of the glass. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks for doing this, buddy.
1: Uh, yeah, no, that's a great story. I appreciate it, man. It had me on anytime. We gotta have another excuse to get me back on.
0: Perfect. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Nice. That was great. Love catching up with Scott. I could talk to him all day. We'll have to have him on again. No quick house cleaning. Uh, I feel stupid about not asking more about B.J. Armstrong and Bobby Hansen, his teammates with the Bulls. But the man was on a roll, I wasn't going to interrupt that. The book name I couldn't remember was Sprawl Ball, a visual tour of the new era of the new NBA. It, it's a beautiful book. It, it has beautiful illustrations of data charts uh, to show how the game has changed. I've seen a lot of data uh, presented in my day and I was blown away by the graphics. Quick description from uh, the book, verbatim. It's no secret that the NBA is in the midst of a revolution. The three-point shot originally seen as a gimmick now accounts for over one-third of shot attempts, and the number is still rising every year. During each of the past two seasons, the Houston Rockets have fired more threes than twos, something that would have been unthinkable until very recently. At the same time, traditional big men have turned into a dying breed, gone by the wayside in favor of stretch fours and fives who knock down the deep ball and defend the perimeter. Say goodbye to the George Milkins, Wilt Chamberlains, Kareem Abdul Jabars, and Shaquille O'Neal's that dominate the NBA for most of its history. Basketball's evolved from a glorified game of feed it to the big guy to a sport that emphasizes spacing, positionless play, and long-range bombs. That much is obvious to anyone who's seen a game in the last few years. Anyway, it's a beautiful book to look at. I'm not a fan of the style of play, but it doesn't matter what I think. Hoping it doesn't come to college soon, but it will. And for all the doubters out there, I think Luca could do very well in this new style of NBA. We shall see eventually. And finally, congrats to the students that just completed their fall semester during very trying times, and obviously the most recent graduates. You're all to be commended. To everyone out there, stay safe, have a wonderful holiday, and as always, go Hawks.